0: Steel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pedal Steel Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Dast. Happy holidays, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Um, As I record this, I'm actually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, taking a little family uh, holiday vacation down here to visit everybody, so um, yeah, it should be fun, and this month we are featuring an interview with J.D. Manus. so let's not uh, delay this any longer. Here we go, let's get to the interview. Behind the Bar all right. Well, we are here with legendary steel player J.D. Manis, who really needs no introduction, but some of his credits include Graham Parsons, The Birds, Buck Owens, Ray Stevens, Eric Clapton, Vince Gill, and the Desert Rose Band, along with many, many movie and TV soundtracks, including the Dukes of Hazzard. So, hello, J.D. Thanks for being on the Pedal Steel podcast.
1: Well, how you doing, Brian? It's good to be here with
0: you. I'm doing fantastic. Um, so, I just wanted to... Start by asking if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your musical background. Like, what was your first instrument that you ever played?
1: Well, I learned to play C, G, and D on the, on an acoustic uh, guitar, and I f- and figured out right away that it hurt my fingers to do that. Ah. So that's pretty much as far as I, I went with the guitar. Uh, our neighbors had a little lap steel that my dad had bought for me, uh, for 50 bucks. It had a a little uh, matching amplifier, a purloid color, and I liked the color, so he bought that for me, and that was the very beginning of me playing the steel guitar.
0: Excellent. And how old were you at that time?
1: Well, let's see. I I was about uh, 10 years old, maybe a little older.
0: Now, that's that's very cool. So uh, that seems like a pretty young age to get started with steel.
1: Yeah, it, it... You know, I always liked uh, music. There was music in our house all the time. Country music, for sure. My dad was a singer and a guitar player, and uh, he kind of, in later years, lived his life through me because I've got all these, I had all these uh, opportunities to meet stars and, you know, what have you, and he he enjoyed talking to me about those people. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, the steel guitar has been what i played my whole life, a little bit of dobro here and there, but not much.
0: Okay. And uh, what about getting into pedal steel?
1: Well, the, the pedal steel came along. I, I started hearing country music with Buddy Emmons playing and Buddy Charlton and these guys making these, you know, what we some people call the whiny sound, but yeah. I, I really liked it. And I thought, you know, so they're getting that sound somehow, and... By this time, I uh, I went to work at, at uh, a place. Well, I actually, let me back up. I I, I got this steel called a multichord. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that had four pedals, three or four pedals on the end, on your left foot area there. And uh, that was my first pedal guitar. And I just graduated from that to a Fender 400, to Show Buds, and finally, to Emmons guitars, which uh, I still play Emmons today. Although during the, my whole life, musical life, I, uh, you know, I've tried all kinds of brands, different mm-hmm. ones and this and that. But take myself right back to the Emmons. I love the sound of them, and that's where I'm at today.
0: Well, that's usually one of the questions I save till later. But um, let's let's talk about it. So, what is your current rig setup that you play?
1: Well, I'm playing an Emmons push pull.
0: Uh huh.
1: And I have actually four of them, and uh, I have I have them uh, labeled ABC and and then another one called Larry, believe it or not, because <laughs> it, it was it's ABC and Larry. It was a guitar that I gave to Larry Sasser twenty okay. uh, some years ago, and when he retired, semi-retired at least, uh, he gave it back to me. So <laughs> I uh, I call that one Larry. So ABC and Larry. And I play A all the time. It's my favorite.
0: I I saw an interview where you were um, talking about pickups and stuff. What pickup do you have in your A guitar? Uh, They're called uh,
1: Jim Pittman. A guy named Jim Pittman from uh, up in the east uh, made those for a while. He made those as a copy of a a Danny Shields pickups. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, I'm sure you know who Danny Shields was
0: uh-huh yeah
1: uh, he's gone now but uh, he made these pickups for uh for msa and for all kinds of people and he was the s in msa believe it or not oh cool i didn't know there's that. some there's some controversy on that but he was the s and so i have those in all the guitars the are and now jim has stopped making those and uh the people over at oh what is the company uh, in Arizona uh, I know what it is is <laughs> it uh,
0: Talonix yeah
1: yeah they are now making copies of the Jim Pittman, cuz we all like the adjustable pole pieces on there oh They're yeah Alex yeah screws that you can raise up and down and that really is a a, a really a good uh, factor in those pickups
0: yeah, I was just talking to, uh, well, we had, before we started recording, we were saying we have a mutual friend, uh, Larry Bem, who was on the last uh, episode of the podcast, and uh, he and I were talking about, he was showing me his Talonix pickup with the adjustable pull pieces, and there's also the other one out there, the tone aligner uh, yes. that Bob Hoffnar makes. I actually have one of those on order, so I'm going to be trying that out on my Emmons push-pull pretty soon. So that'll okay, be nice. so you have an Emmons push-pull. I do, yeah. It doesn't have okay, a cool name, well, but uh, <laughs> I need to name it, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so what are what are you playing through?
1: I'm playing through right now a, uh, a stereo steel, a walker, Jerry Walker amplifier.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, uh, you know, through an a MPX-1, which is a, a Lexicon Reverb, I also just purchased a Bonato unit uh, made by Sage Bonato, um, I'm trying to, you know, get that wired in there to see if I'm actually going to like it. You know, it's a constant search.
0: What is the it, uh, Bonato unit? I haven't heard of that.
1: Well, the guy is uh, in, in uh, Tennessee, and he makes these pedals. Uh, the one that I have is, uh, is uh, made for steel guitar, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a delay and a reverb and a, a fuzz-type area, that, and it's all three in one pedal. It lays on the floor. It's not rack-mountable, mm-hmm. which I don't like. But uh, Paul Franklin is using one right now, and that model is called the Steel Dream.
0: Oh, that's ringing a bell. I think I read about these on on somewhere on the Steel Guitar Forum. Yes. Interesting.
1: And, uh, you know, he's... Uh, a really smart guy that's figured out how to put all this stuff in one pedal and I'm, I'm working with that right now trying to uh, get a sound that I like and yeah. and uh, the jury is still out on it but it's, it's uh, I'm going to see him in Phoenix at the Steel Guitar Show in Phoenix yeah. in January and we're going to go through it and uh, I think I like it. I, I, I'm getting close to hearing what I like And uh, so, but that's the rig that I play now. Now, in years past, I always use Evans amplifiers. I still have a rig, two of those Evans amplifiers, and uh, I use those once in a while, too.
0: And what made you decide to kind of go in the direction of the stereo steel?
1: Well, I wanted to cut down on the weight, because the Evans have those big Black Widow speakers in them, Mm -hmm. and they're heavy. And uh, and I just... uh, wanted to see what else was out there the stereo steel i know jerry walker very well and he let me try one and i went you know i'm gonna give this a shot so i've been playing one of those for about uh, two to three years now
0: yeah i see a lot of players with those now and they i mean at the uh, steel guitar jam and other places i mean they, they just sound great
1: yeah they're uh, they're very versatile and really powerful and uh, you know i like a lot of power behind me so i can Try to keep up with the guitar players that have 30 watts.
0: And do you run it in stereo with the two cabinets?
1: I run. It's not real stereo. I run the cabinets out of phase.
0: Oh, okay. And why? And we, why out of phase?
1: Well, it gives me the idea that I'm in stereo. It kind of broadens the sound a bit.
0: So Where as you sit as, phase, you sit, as you sit in kind of that that null spot, it has like a pseudo stereo effect. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, and I've done that out of phase thing for 25 years. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, forever.
0: I, I, I like that. Oh, that's something. And does that ever cause any problem? Like, I mean, I would assume that it's it has that stereo effect from where you sit, but the rest of the, like, the audience wouldn't really be picking up on that, right?
1: The audience would not. In fact, uh, in situations where you actually mic both speakers, yeah, uh, the house sound guy has to turn them back into phase right to, otherwise the, you know they cancel each other
0: right so you'll get like this really tinny or almost disappearing sound there
1: yeah they, they cancel each other out and the are really the easiest way to do it is to just mic one of the cabinets
0: uh-huh yeah, yeah.
1: that works good yeah
0: well, let's talk about, I was going to ask if you had any favorite stories, you've had such a sort of long, illustrious career, if you had any favorite stories from the road or in the studio or both?
1: Well, there, there's one story, uh, have you heard of The Wrecking Crew?
0: Yeah, of course, yeah.
1: And then that movie that's out, the, the, His uh, Tommy Tedesco's son, uh, Denny Tedesco, is made a movie about the Wrecking group.
0: Yeah, I got to see and, it when it was uh when they were screening it to try and raise money f- to uh buy all the rights to the music. Right. It's a great movie. Well,
1: I know uh, just about everybody that's alive or dead uh, from that that movie and uh, I got in on working with those guys right at the end of their tenure like at, in the like 1970 69 70 I started working with those guys on different projects and got to know most all of them. And the story that I always tell uh, about Tommy Tedesco is that I walk into a studio one day with my steel guitar on the right hip and an amplifier in the left hand, and there must have been 50 people in there for this session. It was like a movie call. Yeah. And so I, you know, never would say no. Anybody on any call, because I, I wanted to be a session player. That's what I wanted to be. Yeah. So I will. I'm going into this date, and people at that time were looking around, going, "What is that? Who is that guy? And what is he carrying?" Well, I sit down at my spot in the studio, and the the music is two music stands wide. Uh huh. So I know I'm in trouble. If I don't read music, I still don't read music. I read chord charts. Yeah, yeah. And well, I'm sitting down there and uh, looking at my stuff, and uh, Tommy sees that I'm a little uncomfortable because I started looking at the book they called it in those days, and it was nothing but written out parts with a few chord changes here and there. Yeah. Tommy comes over and he saw that because he was well known to take younger players under his wing and really show them the right way to do stuff and what to avoid and, you know, the ins and outs of being a session musician. So he comes over and he kneels down beside me, puts his arm around my shoulders and says, hey, and I won't use the words that he used, but he says, hey, you see all these guys in here? I go, yeah. He says, they cannot do what you do. Nobody in this room can make the sounds that you can do. So I said don't worry about it, we'll take care of it from the rhythm section and you just do the best you can, play the chords the best you can and we'll all get through this.
0: That's awesome.
1: And he was my friend from that day on.
0: Yeah, what a great attitude that's amazing.
1: Yeah, he was known for that stuff.
0: And so did that end up kind of starting your studio career?
1: Well, I started really actually doing studio work in the 60s when uh, they had, there was a company called Alike where we would go in and copy the albums of the day and they would sell them on a you know a, a, a different market but they were copies and, they, and we would try to the people would try to sing like the artist we'd yeah. try to play the same music interesting so
0: they still teach. sort of do that uh I mean, I guess that's still sort of a thing because you've got like karaoke tracks. Oh, yeah, sure. And you've got, um, if you sometimes if you go on iTunes or Spotify or something and you're looking for a specific song, you'll find that song and then you listen to it and you're like, wait a minute, something's off here. This isn't the original. It's an exact copy. I never quite understood why. I mean, I guess there's a profit to be made there somewhere.
1: Well in the old days back when I'm talking about you know they would sell those at a really cut rate at like gas stations and and in those days we had record stores and you could buy those things you know cheap yeah and uh, I don't know I guess some people didn't know the difference but that's how I started my recording career was doing that.
0: Well that's probably actually very good uh, very good for your recording chops. To have to imitate something, you know, exactly, note by note.
1: Yeah. Uh, Imitating people isn't, you know, in those days we did that, but uh, it's not something that's easy for me. Uh, In fact, uh, I've had to imitate myself, which is the hardest thing in the world to do.
0: Wait, 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 what do you mean by that?
1: Well, if somebody says, oh, well, you played on this song, you know, you played on a, a Graham Parsons record and you played, uh, so and so and, and so on, and I go, yeah, but I don't play that way anymore, you know. Right, right. I, yeah. I, you know, I've evolved into whatever it is I am now. And uh, go, we want you to play the same lick you played on so and so. And I go, well, I, I just, I may have not played it
0: since that time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, actually, uh, I was going to ask you about one of my favorite albums that I know you've played on, which was uh, The Birds' "Sweetheart of the Rodeo," which is sure. now considered, you know, obviously one of a uh, classic and a very seminal album in that sort of uh, cosmic country uh, <laughs> arena. Yeah. So, what was that experience like? How did how did that come about, and and what were those sessions like?
1: Well, those sessions were were at that time I was fully enveloped into trying be, to be a session player, and I was real punctual, which I still believe in punctuality today. And uh, I would show up at the studio, and the, the, the guys, Chris Hillman and Roger McGuinn, and those guys, they wouldn't show up for sometimes an hour or two after. Yeah, You know, where, if, say we were supposed to be there at 10 o'clock, maybe by one they would show up. <laughs>
0: Rock and, and roll, uh, and, right? <laughs> yeah. And I thought,
1: you know, what is this all about? But you know, the sessions were great. We, uh, we all—it was just a bunch of musicians uh, playing, not really knowing what we're doing, and, and Graham trying to be a country singer. Mm. And we put all that together, and it came out to be what it is. Yeah, you know. It was real fun at the time.
0: Well, did you walk away from those sessions, you know, thinking, Wow, we really made something great here or was it just kinda like, I don't know, let's see what happens, you
1: know? <laughs> it was kinda like, I don't know. <laughs> you
0: know.
1: We're we're just playing music here.
0: Yeah. Well it inspired that album inspired a lot of a lot of players, myself included. So you did something right, you know?
1: Well, hopefully so. It's it's tough for me to listen to that because it's uh it's not uh, it, it sounded like J.D. is trying to play like Lloyd Green.
0: <laughs> well, who doesn't want to sound like Lloyd Green, though, you know? You bet. He's one of my <laughs> oldest and dearest friends. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, so you you do have sort of, you know, developed a very recognizable sound on the steel. I mean, maybe at the time it was a little more like, you know, with the sound-alikes and things, but, you know, as as you've evolved uh, over the years, you have this very recognizable sound that's very clear and concise and confident and I was going to ask you know how you develop that sound and what's different about your approach to steel guitar than let's say like a guy like Lloyd Green or any other uh, other big players out there
1: well I have to give Lloyd Green much credit you know I have certain heroes that I've, I've kept with all through the years but Lloyd once told me he says you know when you when you start a solo in a song, uh, make sure that it's very concise. Let them know that it's your time to play. Don't be timid about it. And he says, what you do in the middle is kinda not important. What you do on in the intro of the solo and what you do at the end, make sure they know you're finished, that you're done. Yeah. You know, This is me playing. Listen to me, and now I'm finished. And I had a second lesson of that when I played with Buck Owens in 1969. He was—he pretty much told me the same thing. He says, "Don't end your solo with a third tone because it sounds like you're going to go on and play more." Hmm. End it with a, a, you know, with a tonic chord.
2: Yeah.
1: It makes you sound like okay. I'm finished with the solo now. And he actually uh, made that happen in front of the Hee crew one time. He, he was really upset with me because I was doing, you know, ending with the third sound, yeah. which I had, you know. And uh, he, he got all over me about that during the Hee shows. And everybody saw that, and it was embarrassing. So I, from that time on, I remembered that too. you know, make it, you know, here I am, I'm playing now I'm done. It's your turn now.
0: Yeah, and I think that that comes across in the music as uh, just this confidence. Like it sounds like, okay, spotlight's on me. Here you go. You know, right? And you've got something to say. You say it, and you get out. You know. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and I think that's you know is true with all musicians. When it's your turn, and there's no vocals going on, it is your turn. So yeah. So give it hell. Give it all you have.
0: Yeah, well, that's good advice. Well, I wanted to ask you about your new CD that uh, was just released, I believe, this month, right? Yes, it's uh, been out about three weeks, yes. Okay, and that's called From Where I Sit. Uh, it's available yeah. on your website, uh, jdmanus.com, which we'll talk about yep. again at the end. And um, I wanted to wanted to hear a little bit about that and and um, what it was like recording it. And also, I saw that you had a little note on your website that's also going to be soon available as uh, backing tracks, which I thought was a cool idea, too.
1: Yes, uh, I'm not sure exactly when the tracks will be available. Uh, We're going to go ahead and sell the CD for now. Yeah. And um, maybe by summer or something like that I'll have the tracks. But uh, it was fun recording it. You know, uh, this this guy named Skip Edwards uh, helped me. Uh, He actually engineered everything, and we record almost everything at his place. Uh, Skip is a piano player that played with uh, Dwight Yoakam for years mm. and also is a really good steel player. Okay. And he and a fellow named Peter Freiberger, who is a bass player, steel player, we all three put our heads together. And I, I said to them, I said, I want to make a record. Uh, with, I still call them records. I want to make a CD that is steel guitar but different and I want us at least one song on there for everybody. If you don't like A song, maybe you like B song. Yeah. And I think we've accomplished that. And so for the last two and a half, almost three years, we would just do a little bit now and then do another song and finally the thing is finished and it's getting uh, you know, some some nice reviews and Yeah, there's a, you know, I don't know if the right word is eclectic, but there should be something there for everybody. And, you know, it goes from, there's not a lot of wow factor, you know, just uh, fast notes for the sake of fast notes. Yeah. It's, It's an album that you can listen to and not move the tone arm as we always used
0: to say. <laughs> well, I'm going to um, ask your permission to play one of the songs as our closing music today, and it's going to be a hard choice to figure out which song to go with. Cause <laughs>
1: well, you have uh, my full permission, yeah, <laughs> okay. please.
0: I, now, I noticed you've also got two instructional DVDs on your website. Um, what can you tell us about those?
1: Well, those are... Uh, they, they have been out, uh, released for... 4 or 5 6 years maybe maybe even more and they are uh, instructionals uh, from the Desert Rose band solos uh-huh and uh, the way I play in Desert Rose band by the way which is one of my favorite bands ever to play in I, I still m- miss playing that music we don't we don't get to play together often enough yeah and uh, so that's what that is and then I also tell some stories in there about playing uh, a session and learning to, to read court charts and it's hopefully entertainment plus you know some stuff that players can use
0: yeah um, you know talking about court charts are you a Nashville number system guy
1: uh, I'm both I can read court symbols or and or the numbers I if I'm If they're a fairly simple song, you know, four or five changes, numbers are always better.
0: Why do you uh, prefer the number system over chord names?
1: Well, if, for instance, uh, we're in there playing this song and and the singer goes, you know, guys, it's just a little too high or maybe it's too low for their voice. We go, okay, well, let's do it instead of in G, let's do it in A, read the same chord chart. Yeah. You know, it's very simple. And, because if you have chord symbols, there are people that cannot transpose quick enough to, to raise the key or lower the key, whichever yeah, the case
0: may be. It's probably easy to get confused if you're tra- trying to transpose in your head.
1: But you know, doing. I'm doing a class in Dallas uh, for the Steel Guitar Show in Dallas in March. Okay. And uh, it, part of the class is knowing how to read numbers, but you have to learn how to hear the changes also, if you're going to, you know, uh, write down a song as a singer singing, like we do in session sometimes, as he sings with an acoustic guitar, you have a pad and a pencil and you're just jotting down the numbers, you have to be able to hear those changes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the numbers do no
0: good for you. What's your? I mean, I know a lot of that is just experience, like being able to hear the changes and you know write them down on the fly. But do you have a particular method for doing that? Do you listen to the bass player? Do you uh, do you watch the guitar player? uh, You know, watch his hands or whatever as he's playing the song down. Or what's your what's your easiest way to basically write out a chord chart on the fly?
1: Well, if you don't uh, know the the sounds of the changes you know and have to watch the guitar player you're you're not helping yourself yeah you should be able to do it with your head down and hear those changes and just jot it you know put it under pencil yeah because and that is you know experience and learning what the changes sound like because what you know if you're playing one four five and a six minor you should know what those things sound like
0: yeah yeah, it's when they start throwing in those weird chords. Yeah. The, <laughs> That's where yeah. I get lost. You know? Yeah, well, me too, a lot of times, sure. Um, let's talk about uh, your your teaching practice a little bit. Do you, I mean, besides the uh, DVDs that you have, do you have regular students that you teach? I don't do
1: that. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't care to teach that much at all. I, I'm doing Dallas because they asked me to. We made a trade uh, I've got a friend of mine, Tony Booth, that's going to come in and sing with me at Dallas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I told uh, those folks there, Albert Talley, I said, Albert, I'll teach if you'll bring Tony in and let us do a whole set. Yeah. So he said, okay. And I said, okay. And so, but as a general rule, I don't have students, uh, I'll show anybody anything they want to learn as long as they tell me what it is, you yeah. know yeah I'll give away everything I got, but uh as far as having a stable of of students and uh and going like that i I just don't care to do it it's you know i I don't want to have to have a program and paperwork and all mm. that stuff,
0: yeah,
1: and when you have a class, you have to at least give them something that they can take home with them
0: right yeah,
1: so the class in Dallas will be about playing in a band and knowing when not to play oh cool you know and knowing the number system and and watching the other members of the band and when you know you have to have cooperation with them too if they don't know when not to play
2: then (laughs) it's
1: it's you know it's balls out from the get-go from the downbeat and bands don't sound good when they do that yeah and it's kind of a lost art, and it needs to be uh, passed down, and, you know, like, you know, there's room for everybody to play. You can just act like you're doing something, but keep the volume down so this person can do their solo, and you don't walk all over the vocalist, and things like that.
0: And to you, what do you think the key to that is? Is it listening? Is it, uh, because i I found that in in certain situations, in certain bands I've played with, that it, it has been a problem where it's just kind of like everybody going all the time and it's almost like nobody wants to have a dull moment on stage for themselves which is kind of a selfish thing you know so like what is your sort of uh, guiding principle for when to play and when not to play with a band
1: well the, all that you just said is is true that happens and bands sound Bad when they're all playing at one time. And I don't mean that you have to stop, but you've got to lay back with your volume when somebody else is doing backup to the singer. Yeah. Or when the steel player plays a chord and wants it to just lay out there flat. Most every time somebody will jump all over that, a guitar player or a keyboard guy, and, and it makes the, the effect terrible. Yeah. And And I always watch the other guys. If if there's a guitar player playing, I lay back for him and let him do his thing. Say he plays the verse, and then the bridge comes, and now hopefully it's my turn to play on the bridge or the the chorus of the song. I expect that other musician to lay back for me. Yeah. And and it doesn't happen. And I I just... (laughs) I cannot... Conceive of having a great time playing music when it's when everybody is just you know top volume from the downbeat for the whole night.
0: Yeah. that's not fun to me. Well, and again, it starts to get you know like we were talking before about um, you know your approach to solos, where it's like you you get in, you let them know you're here, say what you got to say, and then you let them know that you're done. Yes. And if that's not happening, and then you've got this sort of smear of (laughs) sound over everything, and it just uh, you lose that that concise quality, it just becomes sort of a mush of sound.
1: A mush of sound, and the vocalist is very seldom audible when everybody's playing like that. Yeah. They're just screaming up there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. J.D., I was going to ask, what do you think about the future of steel guitar? Where do you see, uh, specifically even pedal steel, where do you see that going in the future?
1: Well, it's dying. And, and there are a lot of people that have different ideas. But when it comes right down to the light at the end of the tunnel, we're all thinking the same thing. You know, we're, we're, a lot of us are older guys, and we want to pass down our experiences to younger people. And there are not a lot of younger players, although there are some, but they have different ideas of what they want the steel guitar part to be.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's okay because uh, you know maybe it needs a change or something. But the steel guitar is is an instrument that is, I think, is made to make your heart cry. Yeah. It, it makes this beautiful sound, and if it's played, yeah, I know there's a lot of jazzers out there that, that play jazz, and I'm a fan of that. I like to hear it, although it's not. Jazz is not something I want to learn to do.
0: Yeah,
1: you know I'm an E9 player, although I have a double neck steel. But I think the steel guitar is is dying because music, country music especially, uh, they just want the sound down low. You know, well, okay. Yeah, I hear a steel in there. Okay, that makes a country.
2: Well, right, right.
1: not necessarily so. And I see these award shows. You know, the ACMs and the and the uh, the one in Nashville, they have a steel player up there sometimes, but he's not even behind it. He's playing electric electric guitar or acoustic guitar in the band. Yeah. You know, they're so you think it's, it's almost
0: this. become more of a prop than a. <laughs>
1: It'd be good for you. That's that's what I meant. Yeah. I'm uh, and so I wonder about it, and to be a little selfish, you know, I'm a I'm getting up there in in age a little bit and it shouldn't be a worry of mine but I still worry about it. I, I want it to be featured. You know, back in, in when there were clubs everywhere and there were bands and all these clubs years ago, the first question that somebody would ask is, Who's playing Steel in your band? Yeah. <laughs> that would always be the first question. And now a lot of bands don't
0: even have steel. Yeah. So well, it's... you know, I'll tell you my experience, and I have this very uh, specific scope and range of experience because, you know, I've, I'm a younger player and I've been playing steel for, oh, about 12 or 13 years. But, yeah. uh, and I mainly play in, in and around Portland, Oregon. I do some touring as well. But there's this whole scene here, and I've seen it happening nationally, too, where there's the, you know, what they would call alternative country or Americana roots music, a lot of which was, you know, people who worship Sweetheart of the Rodeo. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I and, know what that music is. And, and I think there's this sort of resurgence there of appreciation for steel guitar, uh, because when, you know, I'm like the most popular guy in town because I play pedal steel, you know what I mean? And there I think you go. there's this there's this new scene developing there and, and hopefully that gets bigger and bigger. I mean, now there is an Americana uh, category at the Grammys and, you know, that's been around for a few years now and it right. seems to be building and building and if you go to a festival like um, Hardly Strictly Bluegrass in San Francisco every uh, October they have, it's just, I mean, you're going to see lots of bands with steel, and it's just not the Nashville country bands that are doing it these days. Right, of course. That's so it's like these yeah. these alternative avenues and, and, and venues for steel guitar um, that are sort of popping up, and I think those are out there. Uh, it's just, it, it's not exactly where you'd expect it to be anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that's good, though. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, aware of uh, Americana and that whole... Genre and uh, and I'm really happy to know that you know people are are liking steel guitar because you know it's what made me start to play music and I expect certain rules to be followed on stage and, and it's hard to expect because you never know what to expect
2: yeah
1: you know people you know, like I say you know, sometimes they will uh, sound like a real band and other times it sounds like mush. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and as far as that San Francisco, uh, Hardly Strictly, I played that with Desert Rose Band several years ago. Oh,
0: cool. Yeah, how was yeah, it? Yeah,
1: that was a lot of fun up there.
0: Yeah, that's, I've I've been to it several times just as a, a spectator, and it's fantastic. I, I mean, first of all, it's free, so that's nice. I mean, you know, yeah, and it just seems like everybody there is really there for the music and... You know, a lot of these festivals you go to, I don't know. It, it seems like more like a, a drug event with music yeah. a, as a side, a side thing. But this is really yeah. a music event. You know, so yeah, I it's appreciate really that. Nice.
2: It's a good, good event.
0: Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. But I wanted to ask about your upcoming performances and events. And you've got the Dallas show in March, uh, which we already talked Also, a, a about?
1: steel guitar show in January in Phoenix.
0: In Phoenix, right?
1: And uh, I think Larry's coming to that Larry
0: Bim. Yes, actually he just uh, I, I was just, just talking to him before we started. He said to of course tell you hello. And uh yeah, he said he'd be seeing you in Phoenix, so that sounds cool. If you get a chance, you should come. I was thinking about it. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to <laughs> be able to make it this year, but I would like to.
1: It's it's really fun, you know. I go to those steel guitar shows to hang out with my friends. Yeah. There it's it's not so much about the music with me, you know, although that's the reason we all gather, but uh, I see a lot of old friends that I wouldn't ordinarily see for a stretch of years at a time, and it's a good time to hang out. I love hanging out with
0: you And, you know, know another uh, friend of yours who I wanted to mention was uh, John McClung, who is the one who helped me set up this interview, so we got to thank John for that. Um, thank you, John McClung, yes. <laughs> speaking of steel teachers, you know, he and Larry are some of the best ones out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, John has a real good program. And you know, a good system of teaching. So, uh, and, the, and I'm sure Larry does too.
0: At the uh, Phoenix show, are you uh, performing? Or are you doing any clinics or classes?
1: No clinics, no classes. I'm just performing.
0: Okay. And what's and your uh, what's your performance going to consist of at that show?
1: We're going to do the record.
0: Oh, cool. The CD. Very cool.
1: And then I have a friend that's coming in from Nashville that I played. With uh, when I was 20 years old, his name is Don Holloman, and he's going to come in and sing a couple songs with us. And he's also a steel player, bass player, and he's got a daughter in Phoenix, so he's going to come and visit her at the same time.
0: Sounds like a good way to do it. Yeah. Well, JD, thank you so much for uh, for being on the podcast with us. We so appreciate it, and I'm sure we're going to get lots of listeners to this episode. Um, And I wanted to go ahead and plug your website, if I could. It's jdmanus.com. It's got all your your, uh, CDs, your videos, and all your upcoming events. And and, uh, you've got a page that I really like, which is uh, some little sound bites of classic licks that you've played, which I thought was really cool. Okay. uh, And that's jdmanus.com. It's J-A-Y-D-E-E-M-A-N-E-S-S.com. com. Perfect. All right. I want to thank JD for that wonderful interview. And we're going to feature a song from his new album now. It's called Misty. And again, the album is called From Where I Sit, and it's available directly from his website, jdmanis.com. Well, thank you so much for listening to episode seven of the Pedal Steel Podcast. Hope you'll join us again next month. I'm not quite sure what we're going to be doing yet. So, if you've got an idea for a topic or you have a product you'd like to have me do a demo and review of, let me know. Our email is pedalsteelpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just look for the Pedal Steel Podcast and uh yeah if you uh if you like what we're doing uh, go ahead and give us a review in itunes that really helps us kind of uh get our visibility up a little bit and we appreciate it so much thank you again and we'll see you next month